1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. Uh, welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for giving up your Sunday morning and jumping in. We hope this will be a blessing to you. We are in week three of a new series called The Invitation. We're looking at the invitation of grace and how God's grace invites us into a new way of relating with Him and, um, and with one another. We open this series by taking a look at, at a verse that has become kind of the foundation for this series. It's Hebrews 4.16. We're going to put it up on the screen just to remind you of it. Uh, in that verse, um, we're invited. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, the, the readers of this original context in this verse in, in Hebrews would have understood that the writer was in fact speaking in context of the temple. That's how you drew near to God in, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, was you would go to the temple and you could only draw so near, right? You could only come so close. And even then you had to bring an offering and you had to work through a priesthood. And that's because you were, you were essentially coming to a throne of judgment. God, the righteous judge, of the universe was basically saying, I created you for relationship. I created you for nearness. But because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because you have rejected my love and made yourself the center of the universe instead of me, um, there's, a, there's a price of justice. There's a, there's a, a penalty that has to be paid. There's, there is, in fact, um, uh, a cosmic treason for which someone must give an account. And so we came to the throne of judgment through the mediation of earthly priests. And of course, all of that foreshadowed the reality of Jesus. Jesus is the best priest. He's the perfect high priest because he entered into the very presence of God as our priest and offered the perfect sacrifice himself. Instead of uh, an animal sacrifice, which really was just foreshadowing um, uh, the greater sacrifice and indicating that we had a blood debt, he himself became our sacrifice and paid the price for us fully satisfying God's justice so that when we believe in Jesus, we're no longer defined by who we were. We're no longer defined by what we've done. We're no longer defined by our guilt or our shame, what was done to us. None of that defines us anymore. We are defined by the perfect record and performance of Jesus. We are now able to, in fact, come into the very presence of God, not to a throne of judgment, but to a throne of grace, a throne of unending unconditional, unreserved love, an invitation to the table. So, so in the metaphor of the temple, we no longer have to approach through the front door and earn our way through the multiple levels, always afraid of judgment. We get to enter through the back door. We enter through the family door, right into the very dwelling quarters of God, and we sit at table with the God of the universe invited to delight in him even as he delights in us, not because of our merit, but because of Christ's. Not because we've earned it, but because Christ earned it for us. We are to enter boldly into the throne of grace. And, and to do so, to receive both mercy and grace to help in time of need, both pardon and power, cleansing and renewal, right? Grace is this incredibly wonderful, 
um, cleansing and renewing force in our lives. Last week, we talked about how, as believers in Christ, we've, in fact, been made stewards of God's grace. In verse 10, it specifically says that, that um, uh, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We are stewards of God's grace, which means it's been entrusted to us. And it's a varied grace. The word varied means multicolored. Um, and the idea there is that, um, like any true experience of love, there are colors, beauties, facets to discover and rediscover in our relationship with God. As stewards of that grace, this thing that's been entrusted to us, we are to live it and experience it and share it and rediscover it. So there's a beautiful um, experience of discovery. And grace also, we talked about the slingshot effect, this idea that grace um, draws us in with love. It's a powerful invitation to the table of grace, to the table of love. And that same love then sends us out, right? It's an invitation um, to come in love, and it is a sending to go out in love. Because God's purpose is to redeem and restore you personally. He loves you. Jesus died for you, and you personally are invited to the table. And once you've tasted that redemption, it changes you. And then what God wants to do is He wants to invite others to the table through you. He wants you to become, in a sense, a spokesman of grace. He wants you to become an agent of grace, moving in that grace. And, and here's the thing. If you've tasted of that grace, you can't help it because <laughs> love changes us. In the same way that an earthly love can change the way we interact with people through our day. A wonderful encounter of earthly love in the morning can change the way we interact with everybody over the course of that day. When we truly encounter the grace of God, the love of God, it changes the way we interact with ourselves and with the world and with everything around us. It's a slingshot effect. It brings us in and it sends us out, right? So as soon as we taste that grace, we want others to taste it as well. At the beginning of this verse, verse 10, this is what I want to focus on this morning. Specifically, it says that God gave us a gift that we are to use as good stewards of this grace. In fact, take a look at verse 10 again. It says, As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's what I want to focus on this morning. We're going to talk about this idea of spiritual gifts. What are they? What are spiritual gifts? Um, Why are they given? How do I know what mine is as a follower of Christ? That's kind of where we're going this morning. So first of all, what are? Spiritual gifts. Um, spiritual gifts are manifestations of grace. You guys are jumping ahead a little bit on the slides. You want to go back for me? Thank you. No, it's all right. I just saw everybody's eyes like, Mrink. all right, up here. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Um, what are the gifts? A spiritual gift is a manifestation of grace. A spiritual gift is a manifestation or an empowerment of grace that God gives you when you become a believer in Christ. The Spirit of God comes in and gives you a unique talent, a unique ability that will enable you to experience and share the grace of God in a way that is unique to you. Now, this word gift, the Greek word for gift is is charismata. The root of that is charis which is the Greek word for grace. So a gift is an expression of and a manifestation of grace. When we believe in Christ, we are brought into this relationship of grace with Him. We're unconditionally accepted, 
unconditionally delighted in. Why? Because Christ met the conditions for us. And in that realm of grace, there comes gifts of grace or manifestations or empowerments of grace in our lives. So so a gift is a a grace-empowered talent, a charismatic empowerment in our lives given to us to serve Christ. Now, one of the things that I love about our church is that we have such a diverse crowd. Um, we have people here that, that have come from the super charismatic side of the church. And right now you're like, yes, I think I know where you're going. I like this. Others of you come from the frozen chosen side where it's like we talk about those things, but not too much. And honestly, we don't even like to talk about them, right? I get nervous when someone raises their hands and worship kind of a thing. Um, so some of you are getting a little uncomfortable, right? You're like, I'm all for gifts as long as they're natural and normal. Um, but keep that supernatural weird stuff away from me, right? That just makes me nervous. Well, here's the thing, you guys. Um, as good Bible students, as, as those who study the Scripture, um, we are charismatic. Um, and what I mean by that is everybody who actually studies the Scripture understands that the gifts are charismatic. They're all supernatural. When we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we're not talking about natural gifts. We're talking about the Spirit of God coming and giving a a grace-empowered, supernaturally-empowered talent, ability, or strength to a person to be used for the glory of God. Every gift that the Spirit gives is supernatural. Every gift that the Spirit gives is charismata. It, it, It is from the Spirit to be used for the glory of God. Right? Now, here's the thing. As a church, we are what I would call charismatic with seatbelts. Okay? We do not go into the extreme forms of... of you know, we don't take the gifts and put them on the center stage. Right? Um, we don't say the gifts are why we gather, and, and that's what we say is Jesus is the reason we gather. Right? Jesus is on center stage, and the gospel is the primary focus because the gospel is the message of how we move into relationship with God and how we grow in our relationship with God. We, we are what I would call a gospel-centered, not a gift-centered, but a gospel-centered church. And the gifts themselves are given to, man, to, 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 to glorify Jesus and to enable us to share and go more deeply into the power of the gospel. Um, I believe, and, and we as a church believe, that God empowers people supernaturally as He always has. And that every gift is a manifestation of grace of supernatural power, of God basically saying, you're now mine, I'm going to empower you to serve me, right? Now, Peter breaks these gifts into two broad categories. Uh, Take a look at verses 10 and 11 again. As each one of you has received a gift, a charismata, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. That that just basically means that that you're, you're speaking the very words of God. You're speaking with the authority uh, of God himself because you're speaking the very words of God. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So what we see is that Peter is, in fact, breaking the, the idea of gifts into two broad categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now that, that basically means that all gifts will fall into one of these two categories. They will either be speaking gifts manifestations of of someone speaking the word and operating within the power of the word or serving gifts in which we are serving one another and operating in a way that that helps others. Um, 
There are other passages that break these gifts down into more detail. This is the perfect time for that slide. Um, and, and, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail looking at all these other passages. Okay, I'm not going to try to give you a detailed description of all these gifts. That's not my goal this morning. That's not our scope. But I do want to point you to them and, and recommend that you, in fact, spend a little bit of time studying them. We're going to put a post on the city this week to, to help you find these passages again so that you can look at them. Um, but in Romans chapter 12, we have a list. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have a list. In, in Ephesians 4, we have a list. And each of those lists share certain commonalities and certain differences. And what that tells me is that these are not definitive lists. These aren't the only gifts given. These are the kinds of gifts given, okay? And so when we look at this list, what we see is is there are, in fact, um, some things that seem very familiar to us, things that that are, in fact, very normal. Teaching, mercy, giving, exhortation, administration, leadership, those are all things that, that we exercise every day, whether we're followers of Christ or not, right? They're just simply natural talents, natural bents, natural um, inclinations that we all have. Now, some of these are a little less than daily and normal, right? The gift of languages, let's go there. What's often called the gift of tongues, okay? The Greek word glossa, it means languages. And, and the people that we see exercising this gift in the New Testament were able to spontaneously start speaking foreign languages for the purpose of advancing and sharing the gospel, Okay? There are others who had gifts of interpreting the gloss or being able to, in fact, interpret um, the languages being spoken. There's the gift of healing, anything but normal. Gift of miracles. You read through the New Testament, there's some crazy stuff in there. Okay? This is supernatural. You know it's the Spirit of God because there's no other way to explain this stuff. Well, here's what I want to drive home with this, you guys. All of these are charismatic because they are all empowerments of grace. There are no non-charismatic gifts. When we're talking about the gifts that, that we get as believers in Christ, they're all from the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit for the service of others and for the glory of God. And that means that they're all equally empowered. Now, some of you come from church backgrounds. You need to understand this, that there is no JV and varsity when it comes to spiritual gifts. Right? There's no A team and B team. Right? There are different kinds of churches out there, and in certain circles, if you don't have a specific gift, you just aren't as spiritual as other people. Right? If you come from a more charismatic background, it's often tongues or the gift of languages. Right? And so they put a lot of emphasis on that. In those circles, if you don't speak in tongues, man, you may not even be a believer in some of those circles. Like they just put so much emphasis. That's like the, 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 the first step. Right? And if you don't start there, you're not going anywhere else. Now, if you come from a more Reformed background... That's very foreign to you, but a lot of times you find that there's a subtle inclination to emphasize the gifts of the intellect, right? Teaching becomes the highest gift. The one who can expound on the word and unpack all of the wonderful facets and and, and all of the hidden depths of the word, and those are the people that are more gifted than others. Here's the thing, you guys. Um, Every gift comes from the Spirit glorifies God and is used to serve others. There are, there are no gifts that are more spiritual than others or more charismatic, if you want to put it that way. They're all empowered by the Spirit of God. And what that means is that somebody who has the gift of helps is just as radical in their exercise and the use of that gift, just as Spirit-empowered, just as glorifying to God, just as grace-giving to others, as somebody who's operating in the gift of tongues or healing or teaching or prophecy or anything else. There's no A team and B team when it comes to the gifts. 
and there are none that are more miraculous than others. We tend to think that just because one's more unusual than the other, wow, Spirit of God showed up there. No. <laughs> the fact that you're even a believer in Christ shows the Spirit of God's already showed up, okay? Um, God is active, and, and what we're talking about is all of these are Spirit-empowered, transformative, grace-enabling uh, gifts, okay? Now, here's the thing. When we understand this, uh, or we'll come to understand this more and more when we really understand why the gifts were given, right? This whole A team and B team thing, I think, misunderstands a basic premise of, of even why the gifts were given. So take a look at verses 10 and 11 again. As each has received a gift, every believer has received a gift, a charismata, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, let him speak the or- as, as of the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What we see in this passage are two very clear reasons why God gives the gifts. The first is that we might serve one another. The gift was given so that we could exercise that gift for the benefit of others. The second reason is so that God could be glorified. That gift was given so that as we operate in grace, the God of grace might receive the glory. Not us, God. So others can benefit, so God can be glorified. What that means is that those gifts, your spiritual gift was given to you so that you can give it away. Your gift was never given to you as some sort of private form of edification, of building myself up, of making myself feel good about myself. Your gift is, in fact, not primarily about you. Your gift was not given to you to raise your self-esteem. Your gift was given to you to raise your grace esteem. Not so that you would come to focus more on yourself, but you would come to focus more on Christ, that you would focus less on your own glory and more on the glory of your Savior. Your gift was given to increase your joy as you learn to serve others, to increase your joy as you learn to walk in dependence on the God who gives you your gift and empowers your gift. All right, let me illustrate it this way. This last year, I bought um, two big gifts, one for myself and, uh, and one for my wife. Um, I'll tell you about the one I bought for myself. Uh, I bought myself a mountain bike. Some of you guys have heard me tell stories about this. Um, I had saved up a lot of birthday money and uh, made some wise investments and uh, was able to save up a little pocket of money. And I bought a mountain bike, right? So it was, it was an entry level, but the entry level of an actual good bike, right? I've loved that thing. I mean, I've had such a kick riding that bike. Um, I will get on it. I will put in my headphones. I will blast music and I will just disappear, right? There are these single track trails all around SIUE, um, I disappear back there, and so I'm, I'm exhausting myself. I am getting adrenaline rushes. I'm going off jumps. I am crashing. I am dodging deer. I am doing everything that is just delightful and fun and so different from everything else I do in my life, right? And so it is a great escape, and I love it. That, that was a great gift, and, and I'm very thankful for the people that were, over the last couple of years were giving me money just so that I could save it up to buy this thing. I love it, um, and it makes me feel good. It's enjoyable. Uh, to kind of give you a small glimpse of, of how much I enjoy it, um, I, I'll share this video with you. That, that's me. 
That's my wife filming. Oh, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> that did not ex end like I expected it to. Um, so there is absolutely no spiritual value at all in that video. Um, I just wanted to give you a glimpse into why I love my mountain bike, because I can wreck myself and... Um, and laugh at myself when I do it. So a little glimpse into what I do for fun. All right, second gift is a gift I bought for my wife. Um, my um, in-laws and my dad gave me some money, and, and so at Christmas I was able to buy my wife a new stove, which was awesome. The stove we had was um, almost dangerous. It would turn on by itself at random times and start smoking, uh, which was adventurous. But I bought her a, a, an oven, and, and she... Um, she loves to bake. Anybody who knows Lauren knows she loves to bake. So I got her this convection oven, and she just was thrilled with it. And she bakes all kinds of stuff, right? Banana bread and pumpkin bread and cakes and, and, and all kinds of stuff, you know? And what does she do with the stuff she makes? Some of you know because you've eaten it. <laughs> she gives it away. That's what she does. She, she, when we have people over, she's always baking so that she can be a good hostess. Or she, she's, she's baking so we can give it to our neighbors. She's baking so that other people can enjoy and eat um, as a result of, of what she does. She, she works so she can give it away. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Both of these are good gifts. My bike's a great gift, and, and the stove is a great gift. But here's the thing. We get in trouble when we approach our spiritual gifts like I approach my mountain bike instead of how Lauren approaches the stove. Like when we approach our spiritual gifts and say, my spiritual gift is about my joy. My spiritual gift is about me. See, we get in trouble there. When we use our gifts for our joy instead of for service for others, we derail the whole purpose of the gift. See, gifts, remember, are manifestations of grace. Grace is undeserved, unearned favor from God given to us to share with others. When we make it about us, my advancement, my glory, my good, what ends up happening is we'll start using our gifts but we use them very selectively. We'll use our gifts when people pat us on the back for using our gifts. We'll use our gifts when people give us praise, right? When we feel like we're, we're appreciated enough or it's worthwhile enough or, or we get whatever, you know, somebody likes us more. Whatever it is we're using that gift to get, um, we'll use it. And, and as soon as the price becomes too high or the gratitude becomes too low, we're derailed, right? Kind of like at the end of my bike ride, right? We hit that snowbank and we're knocked it off. It's like, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'm not going to keep using my gifts because that kind of hurts. That's not fun. And my gifts were obviously about me. See, that's a horrible way to operate in our gifts. Our, our gifts are not given to us so we can increase the attention that we get or the fame that we get or the affection we get or, or affect how people think about us. When we approach it that way, we undercut both the purpose and the power of the gifts, right? The power of grace comes in the experience of grace, receiving the unearned, unmerited outpouring of God's love and affection and then sharing that in a way that others don't have to earn Right? Giving freely what we have freely received 
unleashes the power or the experience of grace in our lives. When we turn it into something that is about our performance, our benefit, we undercut our ability to experience true joy in the use of our gifts. We undercut our ability to experience more of what is real in grace. Now catch this, guys. I'll say it all the time, but I'll keep saying it. When we use our gifts, we don't earn more of God's grace. We have all of God's grace unconditionally given to us in Christ, but we are not currently experiencing all of God's grace. God gives us those gifts so that we can begin to expand our experience of what we already have. It was all given to us in Christ. That doesn't mean we're experiencing all that we've been given in Christ. The gifts are given to us so that we can increase our experience of grace. And for us to increase our experience of grace, we need to use our gifts for other people's benefit, not our own. We need to use our gifts so that others are blessed, not us. Grace always increases in power and beauty as you give it away. So here's a great exercise for you. It's one that you'll probably hate. Do something loving, kind, generous, beneficial for somebody without ever letting them know you're the one that did it. Use your gifts in some way for the benefit of others and do it in such a way that they don't know you're the one doing it. There's probably a piece of you that will rise up and say, I don't like this. That's the part of you you need to kill. Honestly, Jesus calls it crucifying the flesh. That's that piece of you that's unregenerate that basically says, I want to be the center of the universe. I want to get God's glory. I want to be the one that's noticed. As we are introduced to grace, we are introduced to the beauty of humility. And the beauty of humility is this. When we operate in our gifts for the benefit of others, and they don't even know we're the ones doing it, who do they have to thank? God. And as we see people praising God and thanking God because of the good we've done for them, because of the good we've received from Christ, it only increases our experience of gratitude and joy in our worship for God. It increases our experience of grace. And it frees us from the death grip that we have on our own glory. I don't have to be the center. I don't have to get the attention. I don't have to be the smartest one, the best one, the most noticed one. I can allow God to be God. And I can receive the joy of the outpouring of His grace. So knowing the purpose of our grace is essential for the operation, or knowing the purpose of our gifts is essential for the operation of our gifts. How do you you know what gifts you have? How do you discover your gifts? That's a question I get a lot as, as I'm, you know, sitting across the table from young believers and sharing coffee. How do I even know? You can go online, go ahead and Google spiritual gift inventory. There's all kinds of tests out there. Like it's very similar now to the Myers-Briggs or the DISC. You can just get on there and it's going to print out a printout for you and tell you what your top five spiritual gifts are. I'm not going to knock those things, but here's the thing. How did the people in the early church discover their gifts? By serving. And I'm going to tell you that's still the most effective way. Get busy. Serving and blessing others. See, the problem with spiritual gift inventories, and often the problem with the way we approach gifts today, is that we define what our gifts are, and then that's how we decide we're going to contribute. This is my gift, so this is how I contribute. Right? So when the toilet's clogged, it's like, sorry, I don't have the gift of helps. I have the gift of mercy, and mercifully, I am walking out, right? This is not, not my gifting. I'm going to leave that to you. You're the gift of helps. So why don't you go do that, right? We're, 
Here's, we give ourselves outs. We make it comfortable and easy for ourselves. Grace is never about our comfort. Grace is never about making it easy for us. Grace is about blessing others because we've been blessed. The best way to discover your spiritual gifts is to get busy serving. Get busy working. Get busy blessing. And as you are doing that, you will discover your gifts. You'll discover how God has supernaturally wired you to bless supernaturally wired you to serve, supernaturally wired you to bless others and glorify Him. Here's the thing. We don't need to make it about our gift. Don't be so self-obsessed that it's about you discovering your gift. Make it about what it's really about, which is honestly serving and blessing others. And you'll discover your gift. That's a byproduct, right? You will discover your gift, but make it about what's really important, which is glorifying God and blessing others. Here's the thing with your gift. Your gift may be something you're already strong in. It may be something that you're not strong in, right? So it it can be something that that God basically says, all right, you already have a natural inclination to strengthen this area. I'm going to supernaturally bless it and use it for my glory, okay? Give you an example. Exhortation. There are, there are people. Exhortation is this gift that you just know kind of how to call people out, if you want to put it that way. You know how to speak truth to people in a very clear, very direct way, right? But there's a huge difference between somebody who has the ability to call someone out and somebody who has the gift of exhortation. You know what the fundamental difference is? The person who has the gift of exhortation is listened to. The person who has the gift of exhortation um, will be able to say the hard thing, but they'll say it in such a way that God uses them to actually change the hearer. The person who's being exhorted will actually walk away thanking you for having exhorted them. (laughs) What ends up happening is not necessarily the activity, but the result. God produces results through the empowerment. Right? Somebody who has the gift of teaching and preaching doesn't just stand up front and give you a bunch of information. That's what teachers do. I taught for a lot of years in a classroom, and, and a lot of those times, all I was doing, uh, I was honestly bored by the material myself. I'm just unpacking and saying, okay, this is what you need to know for the standardized results. Somebody who has the gift of teaching is able to open the Word in such a way that the truth not only makes sense to your head, but engages and changes your heart. The Spirit of God works through it. Does that make sense? God comes in and works through your talents, your strengths, your abilities, and produces results you could not produce on your own. So your gift may be something you're already strong in, but it may not be. When I became a believer at 17, um, I had certain natural talents in language. I was already inclined toward, um, I was writing poetry and reading poetry. I loved literature. Um, So I was inclined toward language. That was a, a natural bent, okay? A natural strength, if you want to put it that way. But I absolutely hated public speaking. I hated getting up in front of people. I did one public presentation in high school. It was the most miserable experience of my life. I still remember it and get like bumps. I mean, it was just like, you know, I had to get up and give a speech. And it was one of those where even as you're giving it, you see people like dying on the inside a little bit, right? And so you start dying with them. And it's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Right? So I walk away from that. I'm like, I'm done. Now combine that with all the insecurities that racked my heart during this period of time. I had some dysfunctional things going on in my life. And, and as a result, I honestly was afraid of people. 
As, as a kid, man, when I was walking down the street in Northern California, if somebody was walking down the street toward me, I crossed the street so I wouldn't have to pass them. I didn't, I didn't want to make eye contact with them. I didn't want to say hi to them. I was so locked up in my insecurities that, that honestly, it was just easier to avoid people. Um, so I got into things like mountain biking and just broke things. Um, but I hated public speaking. Absolutely hated public speaking. So you're like, well, Steve, is that the way it works? Like, God just loves to pull these cosmic jokes. Whatever I hate, that's what he's going to ask me to do, right? Is, is, is that the way it works? Like, whatever I most despise, that's what God's going to make me go do? No, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'll throw that maybe. Um, yeah. But no, that, maybe he does get pleasure out of it. Maybe a cosmic joke where he sits back and smiles and laughs a little bit. But I'll tell you what, if he is laughing, it's for your good. If he is laughing, it's for your joy. Um, in those early years where I sensed that God was calling me to become a teacher of the word and I had to work through those horrible insecurities and I had to give some really, really bad sermons um, and I had to learn how to get up in front of people and call their attention and kind of command them in some senses where I was incredibly uncomfortable doing so. Was God laughing? Maybe. Um, Maybe. But I think he was laughing because honestly what he was doing was freeing me, not, not enslaving me. The grace of God always helps you to become more of who he's called you to be. The grace of God always frees you. Your gifts will not work counter to the way he has wired you. They will work uniquely with the way you've been wired to free you into a greater experience of grace. When God gave me the desire to preach... Um, I slowly had to grow in my ability to preach. Here's the thing. When God gives you a gift, it's not a perfect package, fully matured and ready to go. You have to grow in your gifts, which means you have to practice a lot and you have to fail a lot. You know, what's the difference between humility and humiliation? There's only one difference. You know what it is? Pride. (laughs) Pride. You're going to have to get okay with failing in the use of your gift. Because here's the thing, what that's going to teach you is humility. And you're going to come to depend on God to work through that gift instead of your natural abilities to work through that gift. You're going to get comfortable with the fact that that you don't have the ability to produce the results that only God can produce. And you're going to become okay with that because you're going to be humbled. See, that's part of the process of using your gift, God changing your heart so that you are humbled, so that you are lowly, so that you are dependent on Him and joyful when He shows up and does His thing, but not crushed when you fail. Because your hope was never in your own ability to begin with. You get that? There's a process. You have to learn to work in your gift. You have to learn to exercise your gift, to grow in your gift. And as you go through that process, God actually changes you, frees you, blesses you, and gives you a greater experience of grace. As you're operating in grace to bless others, God frees you to experience a greater level of grace. Here's the thing with preaching, and I'll just share this a little bit. I mean, I get a ton of joy out of preaching. Um, preaching is not my only gift. I don't believe God only gives us a single gift. I think God often gives us a battery of gifts. I think that God can change and give different gifts at different times. I don't think it's just nailed down on a single thing. Everyone's been given at least one. We know that. Um, but we're often given more than one, and often in different seasons, different gifts are given that we can grow in. Um, I've got a tremendous amount of joy 
out of growing in my gift of preaching. Now, here's the thing. What I get most joy out of is not the attention that I get. It's not the, hey, that was a great sermon. Let me give you a pat on the back. Um, Because here's the thing. I know everything I'm doing wrong right now. I know all the ways I'm not measuring up right now. I've got this critic's voice in the back of my head. I have studied public communication, and I know all the ways I fail. Okay? I am not like, I, I understand that. But here's what I get joy out of. I don't get joy and life out of the fact that people tell me I gave a great sermon. What I get joy and life out of are when people's lives are changed. I can't even tell you how joyful and satisfying and transforming it is. When I'm sitting down and talking to somebody, they don't even know it, but I can hear my words coming back to me. Like words of grace. Words that I'm like, that God formed that in me, and I shared that with you, and now God is forming that in you. How freaking incredible is that? Right? That's what gives life. That's what gives joy. When we come to the point where the exercise of our gift really comes from the joy of other people being blessed and God being glorified. It's the way it works. When we use our gifts, others get the benefit, we get the joy, and God gets the glory. All right, now I told you that, that over the course of this series, I'm, I'm going to keep giving you a lesson, and I'm going to follow it up with a lab, <laughs> right? So the lesson is God gives us gifts. We need to use those gifts for the glory of God, for the good of others. We need to serve to discover those gifts and rediscover those gifts. Um, we need you to serve. Here's the bottom line. Here's the lab right here. It's called the church, okay? The primary place where you're supposed to use your gifts to serve and bless one another. Bottom line is we need you to be involved. We need you to be involved now. We're going to need you to be even more involved soon. Um, as I've announced, we're going to three services uh, at the beginning of March. We're going to have an 8 o'clock, a 9.30, and 11.15. And that means that we need to replicate people on our teams. Some of our teams are already running short. Some of our teams are honestly already understaffed. We need to improve that. We need to improve that. Um, I mean, we don't want to be that church where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people that's just filled with a bunch of consumers. That's not who we want to be. We want to be a church that is undone by grace and moving forward in gratitude. We want to be a church that is engaged in, in the love of God and in loving others. We want to be a church that's going deep in community and moving forward on mission. That's that's who we want to be, right? And so I'm calling you as the church to be the church, to get involved. If you are not currently serving, it's time, right? So I'm going to give you some really good reasons, and and I talked about this last week, and I'll talk about it again this week, just in case you didn't do it then. Really good reasons to walk across the lobby over to the world's largest coffee bar where, where we are going to have a bunch of papers laid out where you can sign up to serve. If you are not currently serving, that's what I'm asking you to do. If you are currently serving and you're under-challenged, by all means, jump in and do some more. If you are over-serving, if you're one of that 20% doing 80% of the work, figure out where you can focus your greatest amount of attention and serve with all your heart, and start cutting out the areas where you can't serve with all your heart, and create opportunities for others to serve, right? Stop trying to cover all the bases, because we've got more people to cover bases, right? 
So let's focus and serve as God leads us. So last week, I gave you three very good reasons to serve. I'll throw that slide up just to remind you. First of all, you want to serve because you'll benefit. You will benefit. I mean, this is just common sense. You get more out of what you put more into. We know that's true about our hobbies. We know that's true about school. We know that's true about our relationships. And it's also true here. You will get more out of what you put more into. So it is for your benefit. Secondly, um, you will grow spiritually. As you serve, as you engage, um, you're going to experience more grace and you'll grow in grace. Thirdly, um, you're going to equip the church to be on mission, which means this. I mean, if, let's say you're in the back and, and you're holding infants. Uh, you're out in the parking lot. You're greeting people. You're making coffee. Maybe you're the one that, that is doing some cleaning and no one even knows you're doing it. Every person who contributes is equipping this church to be on mission. And when you're on mission, what you're doing is, is essentially working with God to change people's lives. It's that significant, that important, that radical. People's lives are changed. People move from death to life. We see marriages saved. We, we see people radically transformed in their understanding of who they are, how they relate with others, and how they relate with God. It's worth the investment. I'm going to give you two more good reasons this morning. First of all, it gives you the opportunity to serve others. Your gifts were given to you, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. As you serve others, you do grow in your experience of grace. You do get more joy, right? Um, you'll grow in your gifts, I guarantee it. You're like, Steve, I don't know that I'm gifted to work with kids. Um, very few people are. You know how you get gifted to work with kids? You work with kids. Ask any parent. What prepares you for parenthood? Parenthood, right? I mean, that's just the bottom line. What, I don't know if I'm equipped for parking duty. What equips you for parking duty? The willingness to be on parking duty. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? You learn how to stand out there, how to greet people, how to smile, how to tell them where to go. I mean, we need people. And this is the thing, man. We need people on every team, right? As you serve others, you will grow in your gifts. And I guarantee you'll discover more about who you are, right? Secondly, um, or fifthly, because <laughs> it's my fifth reason, you're going to glorify God. Your gifts were given to you to serve others and glorify God. As you move out in gratitude to God to serve others, God is glorified, right? As you serve Him with the gifts that He's given you, that is a worthy sacrifice of gratitude, and He will be well pleased. Our God of grace delights when we step out in grace to serve others. So, five very good reasons. You will cross this room at the end of the service, over to the counter, and sign up to serve. Okay? You will be blessed. Lives will be changed. God will be glorified. All right? All right, we're going to go into time of response. I'm going to put some questions on the screen to help lead our response time. And, and um, I'm going to give you some space. This is the whole purpose of this part of the service, is to create some space for you to respond and, and inter interact with God in prayer and um, allow the Spirit to speak to you. Uh, if you're a guest with us, there's a worship response card in your bulletin. We would love for you to, this would be a great opportunity for you to fill that out. Let us know you were here. If you have prayer requests, we would love to pray with you and for you. Just put them on there, okay? Uh, if you want to pray with someone here, if there's something pressing, we're going to have leaders available at the back who would love to go pray with you and for you about whatever it is that, that is pressing on you, okay? So it's a resource for you to take advantage of. Don't forget to go across the aisle and, and sign up. Let me pray for us. We'll share communion in a moment. Um, we'll introduce that, but for now, let me pray for us as we go into our time of response. Father God, I thank you that you are um, a God of grace, 
a God who extends an unending, unconditional, unwavering invitation to love, forgiveness, empowerment. You take us, um, those who are sinners by nature, rebels, you pay the price and then you declare us to be sons and daughters that we might come in your family to your table. Lord, I pray for my friends and I pray for myself that we would have a renewed heart that is receptive, that is responsive to grace. I pray for my friends that don't know you, that, that you would make the invitation of the gospel irresistibly clear, that they would understand that the God of the universe is inviting them to forgiveness a new life. Not defined by what they've done or what's been done to them. Not defined by their failure, but defined by Christ's success. Lord, I pray that you will break their hearts with that grace. I pray for my friends that are followers of Christ that have grown cold to grace. Maybe grown a little bit too comfortable with their theology, their understanding and knowledge of God, their praxology, their following and behavior, their religious choices. Pray, Lord, that you'll break their hearts with grace, with a renewed understanding and sense of how wonderful, how overwhelming, how indescribable your love is. Let us be a people marked by grace, undone by your love. Spirit, you're the only one that can do this in our hearts. We are completely dependent on you, and so I pray that you will hover over this place, that you will soften us, renew us, call.